Why, hello there, and welcome to the <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's try it. Okay. I can buy myself flowers. Yeah. yeah. Write my name in the sand. Yeah. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why, hello there, and welcome to the Psych Patient Podcast, episode four. This is a podcast for people out there struggling with their mental health. And animals, too. If there are... <laughs> there probably are. If there are animals out there struggling with their mental health, they are more than welcome to take a listen. We yes. want animals. <laughs> we need happy animals in the world. Here's the thing. My dog, Watson, is so anxious. He is an anxious little fella. And so when I say that, I'm mostly thinking of him. Because. (laughs) Poor guy. I know. And I've said before that Watson and I both need an emotional support dog. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully Watson will listen to this episode. Yeah. So this is a podcast for people struggling with their mental health and Anyone out there who wants to learn more about what it's like to live life battling mental illness. Today I have with me my good friend, Whitney. Hello. Whitney. Here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Whitney, should we tell the good peeps listening how we know each other? We should. I think we should. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So we met years and years ago, initially at a Neon Trees concert. Totally. Through mutual friends. Mm -hmm. This was back when Neon Trees were a local band. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we, I was dating one of the dudes in the band. I was just a mega fan. She was a mega fan. Yeah. We met. And then later, like how many years later do you think? Like it maybe had to be like five, five? or something. Yeah, yeah five years later. like five. Yeah. She was working at a company with my then husband, and I ended up getting a job at the same company. And that's really when things took off for us, don't yes, you think? Yes, that was the start of something great and yes. wonderful. And we joined a book club together. Yes, that helped. We're called the Book Club Bitches. Mm-hmm. Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> to my bitches <laughs> that love books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes, that's how we know each other. Yeah. And we also, so Whitney and I and our friend Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Shout out. Another shout out to Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> we get together a lot and we have dinner together and we talk about Bigfoot and aliens Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. what else? Our screwed up minds. Our screwed up minds, (laughs) Star Wars, all the things. All the things. So yes, we have a great time together. Mm -hmm. We'll see if I can convince Chelsea to ever come on the podcast. That would be amazing. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be so good. So before we get into everything, let's do a mood rating. Yes. For... Either the present moment, the day, mm-hmm. whatnot. Okay. So zero through ten, zero being the worst, ten being the best, and then a one word that kind of describes how you're feeling today. I'm gonna go with an 
eight. I feel like today's a good Peace. day. Yeah. That's I, awesome. You know, I spent the day with family. Now I'm spending it with you. Yeah. It's a good day. Good. So, and my word would be grateful. I like that word. Yeah. That's good. I'm very grateful. I'm also feeling grateful now that you've said that. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, me too, man. Good. Totally. <laughs> I'll do my mood rating as well. Um, I would say I'm at like a six. I was at a five for sure, like all day. But then I got here and my oh, mood good. bumped. So oh, good. Yeah. I bet by the end of this, I'll be at an eight. Good. That's yeah. our goal. That's the goal. That's the goal now. I would say mood word for the day is like melancholy. Mm-hmm. But right now, I'm just glad to be with you hanging out. True that. So, Whitney, would you like to give us kind of a brief summary or a timeline of kind of the different mental illness struggles that you've had? For sure. Over the years. So growing up, I feel like most people... I was a very anxious child, mm-hmm. um, mostly with separation anxiety. Mm. I struggled a lot with that. Like when my parents would go out of town and I have a babysitter, I would cry every night, Aww. like hysterically. And I'm so sad. Yeah. And sleepovers, <laughs> I could never have them. I'd always end up calling my mom to come pick me up. Mm-hmm. And my mom would go to like choir practice. And I remember just standing at the window watching and waiting for her car to come home. So Aww. I'd know she was there, you know? <laughs> I want to give little Whitney a hug. I know. It's so sad. And... Going through that, you don't think anything of it. I thought I was just being a baby, but as an adult, I can look back and clearly say that was separation anxiety to the fullest. So I've always had that anxious bone in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until high school that I discovered my depression. Um, I just kind of thought that everyone was probably feeling this. Mm-hmm. And then my friend's like, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I know our homo- hormones are going crazy, but what you're feeling is not normal. The average. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember taking this little online test that's mm-hmm. like, do you have depression? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, yes, of course you do. 100%. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I remember printing it out. I don't know what I was going to do with it, but I left it somewhere clumsily and my parents found it. Oh, wow. And then they told me that it runs in the family oh, and wow. it's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's just part I of our DNA. That they like opened up and had a dialogue about it. With For you. sure. And I think I felt probably like most people do. I felt a lot of shame when Mm -hmm. I found out I had depression. Mm -hmm. Um, and hearing from the people that I love the most that not only is it in our genetics, but they themselves have suffered from it Mm -hmm. helped so much to feel normal and normalize that for me. Definitely. Um, Yeah. So then they were really great. They took me to go see a doctor right away and get that sorted out. And so I've been on Prozac for I don't even know how many years now. Yeah. Um, so that was in like your high school years? Yeah, I think I was about 15 Okay. when that came up. And then it wasn't until probably my early 20s that I discovered that I have anxiety mm-hmm. and got uh, diagnosed with that. And the Prozac helps with yeah. the anxious bone in my body. Um, after that, it was probably in my 30s that I really discovered all the other things <laughs> going on with my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, it started with ADD, which 
for me, it was really my brain never stopped going. So almost like, do you feel like with your ADD, is it the classic ADD, like the hyperactive? Or is it more of like the hyperactivity is maybe in your brain? Exactly. Yeah. Because I never thought that I had ADD because I wasn't, I didn't have that hyper aspect of it. And I had a lot of friends who had ADD. Yeah. And And they're like, like, they're all hyper. Yeah. And also like they can't finish a book. Right. But then here's Whitney in book clubs. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, I can't be ADD. But then my doctor, you know, we talked about it and, you know, the way that my brain just never stops going. It was a classic sign of ADD. So I started taking Adderall in my thirties, which really has helped that. But at the same time that we discovered my ADD, we discovered my ruminating thoughts that I've always had Mm -hmm. is actually a sign of OCD, Mm -hmm. which again is another thing that I would never have diagnosed myself as because I'm not switching on light switches five times in a row. And you're not washing your hands till they bleed. Like the thing, the typical things that you'd think of when someone says OCD. Right. Yeah. I didn't have any of those. Um, so very much my mental health journey up to this point, I'm discovering everything is very internal. I'm not exuding many signs externally Mm -hmm. of these things. Um, interesting. And so I got on some medication called Luvox for my OCD. Again, that was in my thirties. Then I went through a very loving, but dramatic relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mental health took quite a hit at that point. He was an addict, and anyone who knows an addict knows that that relationship is very complicated. And I was starting to become a very codependent person, and my mental health was just going haywire. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once that relationship ended, I found it was very hard for me to bounce back from. Um, And That's been a tough one to watch go through as well. It's been very, very troubling. Uh, But... Because of that, I was like, I've got to get my mental health stable. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to heal. So I went to this health clinic and took this psychological exam where they, all of these tests that they gave made no sense. (laughs) They were like, push a button when it, the screen says seven and nine, and it's supposed to tell me what mental health issues I had. Yeah. You're like, uh, you sure? Okay. (laughs) So I spent, I think it was like two hours session of just doing these weird little tests like that. And then it comes back and it tells you all the things that you probably are dealing with. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that showed up for me was, uh, borderline personality disorder. Mm. Uh, another thing that I think I struggle with internally and don't exude signs, outwardly signs yeah. of. So, so kind of similar to the others where it's like, yeah, you wouldn't have necessarily thought of that. But then once somebody explains it to you in a different way, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, that's me. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's, I think there's four different types of main borderline personality disorder. And I have one of the least common ones, which is called discouraged BPD. Interesting. They also call it the quiet BPD Mm -hmm. because everything is so internally processed and handled that outwardly you don't, don't, you don't show signs of it. So it's hard to diagnose. That's so interesting. Yeah. And so that showed up for me in a variety of ways, um, that once someone told me I had it, I was like, oh (laughs) yes, that is my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
But there's things like impairments in self-functioning. So you have a really poor self-image. Uh, you're excessively self-critical. Um, you have chronic feelings of emptiness, mm. which I kind of always just associated with my depression and thought that that's mm-hmm. where that came from. But there's also impairments in your interpersonal functioning, like heightened or dramatic sensitivity to criticism. You have a lot of black and white thinking, um, a lot of intimacy issues. So relationships marked by high conflict or mistrust and clinginess, fear of abandonment, over-involvement. And as I'm reading all of those things, I'm like, oh... That is my relationship. (laughs) And I feel like it's important to know, like, this isn't necessarily, this is stuff going on in your head. Mm -hmm. Because I don't feel like you were necessarily, especially in the relationship we're talking about, I don't feel like you were doing any of those things. Right. Just at least from the outside looking in, it didn't feel like you were being like extra clingy or extra, you know, but, but in your head... Yeah. There was, it was like you were being tortured. Exactly. Everything lived inside. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's better or worse than showing yeah. it, but that's where it resided. And and that's, I guess, why they call it quiet BPD. Yeah. 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 It's much quieter. So, um, but yeah, and after reading all about BPD and going on some medication for it, it's helped significantly in my life. I'm a firm believer in medication if you can't tell yeah <laughs> i'm all about it can you say what medication you're on for BPD? yeah it's called a pripazole i think i'm saying that right a pripazole and and you do feel like it helps yeah yeah That's for awesome. sure like some of the outward signs that i personally do display are moodiness mm. um i get irritated easily mm. uh with certain things and this Kind of like when people chew. Yeah, I was just about to <laughs> yeah. say that. I was just about to go like chewing. Yes, <laughs> exactly. When people chew and I can hear it, it used to be like nails on a chalkboard oh, yeah. for me where I'm, I can't hear it at all before I snap. Mm-hmm. Um, but since being on my medication, <laughs> I can be around open mouth chewers. <laughs> That's a miracle. I know. It's a bloody miracle. I know. I'm like, I can never go off this medication because of that. <laughs> I need that. Actually. My relationship with my own mother has improved because of it. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. So oh my gosh. it's been a wild ride, but I feel like I've finally gotten to a point where my medication is the right cocktail for me. That's awesome. And yeah. And That's And it's taking you so many years. So many years of trying different things. And I mean, I didn't land on Prozac on the first try. Mm-hmm. That was like the eighth, ninth or 10th try. Yeah. And yeah, because they'll, the they'll usually like start you on Zoloft or, exactly. you know, and then if that doesn't work, you go to the next one. If that doesn't work, you go to the next mm-hmm. one. And it's just, and I've seen you going through different medication changes and yeah. I myself have gone through them and they're not easy. They are not. They are so hard. They're and I'm so hard. I mean, anyone who out, out there who is struggling to find the right thing, I think the best thing is finding a good psychiatrist. Yeah. I always get psychiatrists and psychologists. And psychologists. And I know, I'm trying to do too. But finding a good psychiatrist who's willing to listen to you mm-hmm. has been the biggest help. I've gone through so many and I finally found one and he is amazing. And he's always willing to adjust what needs to be adjusted. And I think that plays a huge role yeah. in our journey. I love that. And I totally agree with you. Yeah. My psychiatrist that I have, same thing. She's... 
she's just been really good and she also really listens to me yeah like, you know she's not just like yeah no we're doing this whether you like it or not exactly you know what I mean and I feel like so many of them are that mm-hmm. way that when you find someone who actually listens you're like okay you're sticking around for yeah, a long time definitely. please don't retire definitely. <laughs> yes what will we do when you retire <laughs> what will I do with my life but yeah, that's been really helpful for me. Um, my medication, getting that organized, um, as well as finding a really good therapist who Mm -hmm. again, listens and is not afraid to critique you in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. Finding a therapist that you connect with is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And I've had one, I've had multiple different therapists over the years. And connected with them on different levels, all of them, right? Right. I'm trying to think if I've ever had one that I didn't like. And I don't think I have. Yeah, I feel like I've been able to bond. And I think that's probably part of our personality Mm -hmm. where we could go to any group of people and find a way to Mm -hmm. bond with them. Yeah. And so that helps when finding a therapist. It's almost like you can grow out of out of your therapist not in a bad way like they're still an amazing therapist but like you then need something different yep and you yeah. feel like you need to go somewhere else to find that different thing yeah and you just have to trust yourself to know yeah. that that's what yeah that that relationship has ran its course yeah i guess so part of my discouraged bpd one of the things they talk about is an inability to express anger or wow. to even feel anger at some point. And that's with your, that specific type of yes. BPD. Yeah. And which is crazy to me because when I think of borderline personality disorder, I think of, I have a few friends who have it and they're typically very quick to get angry. Yeah. And so this that's is, what I would think as well. Yeah. yeah. And this is quite the opposite where I do struggle to feel anger on a regular basis. And that shows up in all my relationships, but especially romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, where things will happen where you're like, obviously you should be upset right now. Mm -hmm. And I just, instead of feeling anger, my mind turns it immediately into depression. Mm -hmm. And so finding a way to feel and express anger has been a really difficult thing for me in my adult life. Yeah. And I internalize it. And instead of being angry at someone else for their actions... I am now depressed because I wasn't good enough to, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. to have different actions Mm -hmm. from them. You just put it all on yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So for you, you don't want to place blame. Right. You want it to be like, like, and I kind of get that. Mm -hmm. I feel like I do that sometimes too, where I'm just, I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt. Nonstop. Nonstop. When sometimes I think. Like I don't want to be mad at them. Right. And I think sometimes to be a healthy adult, you have to be mad at people Mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. And especially in relationships, I feel like the other person needs to know where a boundary was crossed. Yes. And so by doing that, I was never establishing strong boundaries, Mm -hmm. never getting upset with my partner was not creating those strong boundaries Mm -hmm. where they knew I'd done too much Yeah, and that was not right. Yeah. Which then opens the door for further behavior of, of, of crossing boundaries and, and disrespect. Yeah. Exactly. And thinking, oh, she's cool with whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When really inside you're tormented. Mm-hmm. 
Totally. Yeah. So that's been a really big thing in my adult life is learning when to feel and express anger Mm -hmm. appropriately. Are there any tips or tricks you have for people who might relate to that? Um, not being able to feel anger appropriately for sure. Um, the first thing I actually started is a worry journal and I called it my worry journal because I found that that's how I internalized anger is it went straight to worry and depression and not anger. Mm -hmm. So I found when I wrote out, um, I have key things that I would always write out about a certain thought that was sitting heavy with me. Mm -hmm. So at first I would write out the thought exactly. Then I'd write out, how was this triggered? Um, have I done my share to prevent this? Is there more I should do? Um, I'd list like an alternative outcome and like, what are the underlying emotions that are behind said yeah, thought at the root? Yeah. And this really helped me to pinpoint when I was actually angry mm. instead of just saying, Oh, I'm worried mm-hmm. or I'm, I'm sad about this. Getting it out with words, like yeah. writing it down. Yeah. And it was, it's laborious, but I have like, I would write down every single thought that I yeah. had. <laughs> and by the way, her worry journal, we're looking at it right now. She's an amazing <laughs> artist and it is the coolest thing, the way that she has it Thank all set you. up. It's Thanks. amazing. Yeah. But it's, it helped me, especially writing down what, it, what are the underlying thoughts to this worry mm-hmm. or emotion that I'm going through? It's not just worry. There's something else there. And mm-hmm. that's, I've been able to pinpoint anger through that action. And like I said, it's time consuming and it, it's yeah. kind of obnoxious when you first start doing it. But then after a while, you don't need to write it down. Your brain, Your brain starts, starts to do it automatically. Figuring out, figuring out, oh, this is where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good tip. Yeah. One of the things like when, when we're talking about this, like you learning how to feel your anger, it just brings up the topic of just feeling your emotions in general. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that is something that I feel like I struggle with. Definitely. Where I, cause I feel it mm-hmm. so hard. Yeah. But then I don't think I let it come all the way through. I you don't let it, it live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I stifle it at a certain point. Like, oh, that hurts way too bad. Bye-bye. Yep. You know? Yeah. So I've been working on trying to figure out ways to actually feel my feelings. Cause you know, they say feel or maybe it's just Tiffany Rowe that says this. I don't know. She says, feel, deal, heal, you know? Yeah. And you can't deal and heal without feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So I think lately that's, that's been a big one for me. I feel that. So one thing that I did the other day was, um, actually I did it one night and then the next morning as well. I laid down on my bed cause I was, I'd been having like some anxiety and sadness and whatnot. So I laid down on my bed and I was like, okay, I'm just going to pay attention to where I'm physically feeling this feeling. Mm -hmm. So I felt it in my stomach and just kind of let myself acknowledge that it was there. Like I'm feeling anxiety in my stomach. And then it just kind of slowly went away. Mm -hmm. And then the next morning I did that again because once again, anxiety and sadness. Those are my, that's what I wake up with every day. Um, 
And so I first felt it in my stomach and again, acknowledged it. And I was kind of expecting it just to go away again, but it actually like moved up into my chest. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And kind of got curious about it, you know, thinking mm-hmm. about it like, oh, wow, now it's in my chest. And, but, and then at that point it slowly dissipated again. And so I was like, Hey, I think I might've actually felt that feeling like <laughs> all the way here. <laughs> yeah. So I w- another thing that I've been kind of trying to visualize is like the feeling is a wave. And so visualizing it come all the way up to its peak, that really, really hurty part. But instead of shoving it back mm-hmm. down at the hurty part, letting it flow out yes. like a wave, you know? I love that. So, yeah. That's amazing. And it that's really hard to do because, I mean, if you're like us, you feel a million emotions mm-hmm. a day. So deeply. So deeply that it's like, how does anyone have the time to sit there yeah. and process each one? Yeah. And I think maybe on that point, maybe the ones that are the most important to process completely are the ones that are like... The really big ones. The ones that hurt the most. The ones that hurt the most. Yeah. Yeah. Because with us, both of us, we feel things so deeply. Even good things hurt sometimes. Yes. You know, like it's so good it hurts, you know? So it's like, (laughs) we don't have enough time in the day to sit there and lay on our beds all day and feel all the things. I feel this in my stomach right now. But, but maybe even just being intentional about it and just setting aside time to like feel your feelings. Yeah. For me, I find that just calling out the emotion helps Mm -hmm. and just saying right now I am feeling discouraged Mm -hmm. as opposed to lumping it into I'm feeling worried or depressed Yeah, and really pointing out what it is helps me counter that with the positive emotion yeah and i think too calling it out and calling it what it is almost it's like you're validating it like your feelings are like little guys in there and they're like hey listen to me i'm sad i'm discouraged you know yeah and if you're like oh i'm feeling discouraged yeah and then maybe that does something yeah and i think it helps when you feel so many things all at once to hyper focus in on mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. and Because otherwise it gets so overwhelming. It's too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe intention, acknowledgement. Yes. Calling it what it is. And allowing it to exist. Yeah. Allowing it. Don't. Yeah. Stifling it just makes everything so much worse. Yeah. It might feel better for the moment, but it builds. And there's that famous like quote that people say, like, what you resist persists and Mm -hmm. that it's so famous for a reason because it's true like you can resist and resist and resist and then you're gonna have a freaking meltdown yep because you're which i think we've all spent years of our life doing Uh and have realized now in our older age that it's just not worth it yeah and maybe that's why they call it like a midlife crisis or something because (laughs) really you're just like oh it doesn't mean to realization (laughs) you're like yeah all these things that i've been doing for so long do not work yeah yeah so more like midlife awakening. Yeah. Ooh. Did you just come up with something? I, did. I love that. Midlife <laughs> awakening. That's what we're going through. I love yeah. that. That's so good. So earlier you were talking about kind of this was before your BPD diagnosis, I believe. You were in a relationship with someone who had substance abuse disorder. Yes. And 
that really obviously was very hard for you and it and it took a toll on your mental health definitely definitely i think anyone who who knows someone who struggled in this way can relate but being there in the good times but then experiencing the hard times mm -hmm. um it takes a toll on you mm -hmm. it really does um i was there in the lowest of low times all the way through you know the rehab and coming out and it's not a journey just for them right it's not just something that they're dealing with it directly affects you and i think it's mm -hmm. if you haven't had a relationship like that it's hard to see how much it can mm -hmm. and so i didn't know how intense it would be for me until i was in it yeah and and you talked about codependency and that i mean <laughs> the level of codependent that you become in those type of dynamics mm -hmm. is it's really hard to come back from and that took years to yeah. do um it really was because you want to save them exactly yeah you do you want to save them to so much to a point that it now becomes your fault in your own mind yeah that they're struggling That's just yeah and you're like what am i doing that is causing them to feel like they have to do this mm -hmm. and that's not and that's not, that's not what it is yeah, yeah it's not on you but you start blaming yourself for all the things exactly. i'm not i'm not meeting their needs well enough mm -hmm. and, or i'm not communicating well enough or whatever if i was yeah. doing this different then maybe they wouldn't feel like they had to do xyz exactly and i think as someone who so obviously internalizes everything like i do it drove me crazy and I think that's really the best way to say it is mm -hmm. I was a crazy person for the last part of that relationship mm -hmm. because there was just so much going on internally in my mind that I needed help with I needed someone to come in and to tell me that it's not my fault and I'm not the reason for this behavior and that I deserve better mm -hmm. than this behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the hardest part about these relationships is knowing when to call it quits. Yeah. It's... Yeah. yeah. And knowing when, knowing when to walk away is... And the boundaries, you know, knowing what, what boundaries you have so that you're not getting walked all over. For sure. And I think going into said relationship, I didn't have any boundaries because mm -hmm. I kind of in the back of my mind was like, well, if I love someone and they love me, then why do I need to set a boundary? Yeah. And it's not until invisible boundaries get crossed so many times that you're like, oh, this is why people have them. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This that. is why people establish boundaries. <laughs> yeah. And I think my struggle with creating boundaries, the thing that really helped me during that relationship was a book called Codependent No More. Oh, I read that because of you. Yeah. And same. That book it is changed so me too. fantastic. So anyone who's struggling with creating boundaries or their codependency should read Codependent No More. Codependent No More was written by Melody Beattie. And Whitney had also told me about the book and I read it and I was like, wait, I'm like, that was a huge, I can't even remember how many years ago that was, but that was a huge eye opener for me because mm -hmm. I was like, 
oh, I thought doing all these things meant I was a good person. Exactly. The line that she draws between being a good person and being codependent Mm -hmm. is so thin that Mm -hmm. you don't realize when you're weaving in and out of it. And I think, yeah, that book really changed me. And that's a definite recommend yeah that one. it's so good i wanted to read um some of some of the traits and characteristics of a codependent personality yeah and we can kind of say you know if we relate to them or not but um feeling responsible for solving other people's problems check check <laughs> offering advice even if it isn't asked for mm-hmm. poor communication regarding feelings wants or needs so the boundaries Absolutely. like we were saying um, difficulty adjusting to change. Good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Expecting others to do as you say. That's an interesting one. That one I feel, but I think instead of doing, having them do what I say, it was more so having them do what I felt. So like expecting them to know what I'm feeling, what you're feeling because I wasn't saying it. Yeah. Because I didn't feel like I needed to set a boundary. Duh, common sense. Right. But like, do what I'm feeling, Mm -hmm. you know? That's interesting. Yeah. Another one is difficulty making decisions. Oh my gosh. And holy hell. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Chronic anger, which obviously was not one of yours. (laughs) I would say that was one of mine, though, because I totally had a hair trigger. um, Mostly just in my marriage. But that would be like... That would make sense, right? Because that's codependency at its finest is, yeah. you know, when you're in a marriage. And so feeling used and underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And I think that one goes along with the boundaries because you're not setting the boundaries yeah. clearly enough. And so when they're being crossed, as they will be because people don't can't read our minds, then we're getting resentful and being yes. like, man, they don't even give a shit. Yeah, they don't care about yeah. me. Yeah. Um, people pleasing to be liked oh, or loved gosh. and oh shit <laughs> I every say, one of these is- yeah I say I'm a recovering people pleaser but in all reality I'm still just a total people pleaser but I'm more aware of it yes and I try like I've been working over the years to say no more frequently yes and I'm getting better at it yeah I, I feel the same way I've been going through that journey as well and yeah the last few years I've Sorry to anyone I've canceled plans on, but yeah. it's been necessary it's for necessary. me. necessary. Yeah, yeah. You have to learn how to say no, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. I don't... Like, and when you're a people pleaser, especially, because you're like, well, I mean, I really like you, and it's nothing personal, but, you know, but yeah. it's like, no, sometimes we just can't do things. Yeah. So that one is, yeah, a huge one for me, at least. Um, lack of trust in self or others. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Check. <laughs> Fearing rejection or being unlovable. Huge check. Yeah. Yeah, I feel still like that. Like, um, am I ever going to be good enough to be the one that somebody chooses? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst. It I'm sorry. Worst. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Feeling like a victim. Which... I kind of don't, I don't know that I necessarily align yeah, that with one, that one. I don't really feel hits home. Although some people might hear me talking and be like, okay, victim. Yeah. <laughs> they, they might As disagree with me. they're listening to us talking, they're like, you're yeah. both 
victims. Yeah. Bitches. Yes. This is victims. <laughs> yes. With that one, though, I can see how that would be part of it. Uh-huh. And I can see how at times in my life I've felt like a victim. Yes. But I don't feel overall I'm walking around with this big V on my shoulder. Yeah, or like Eeyore. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I do think, though, that kind of, for me, being negative and maybe being a little bit of a victim might be something that I have just learned to work on over the years. Mm-hmm. Another one is taking everything personally, mm-hmm. which is like kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like, what what am I doing wrong that's making them yep. act like this? Yep. Yeah. And it's all your fault. Mm-hmm. Another one is making excuses for other people's bad behavior. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the amount of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Yeah. Same, dude. And then just a general sense of helplessness, anxiety, or depression. Yeah. <laughs> just like, hello. Yeah, that sums it up. That's... I, yeah, that sums it up pretty well. Um, and I don't think you realize how damaging being codependent is is when you are in it Mm -hmm. um because like you said it feels like i thought i'm just being a good person i'm giving people the benefit of the doubt and you know i'm i'm bending what i need Mm -hmm. to to make it easier for others that that feels like i'm just like that oh i'm just serving oh i'm just sacrificing isn't that what i'm supposed to do like When you're conditioned. Especially when you're conditioned in a high demand religion. Like, oh, that's what you do. You put others first. Yes. It's like... You're never taught that sometimes that turns into something ugly like codependency. mm -hmm. And it's very unhealthy. Yeah. Even just reading through these, I'm realizing... Because I I hate admitting this, but I'm still more more codependent than Than I would like to be. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do feel like I've come a long way from how I used to be. So, like, in that way, I'm like, okay, but I can see a huge amount of growth from years and years ago Mm -hmm. when I read that book. Mm -hmm. But as I'm reading through those things, I'm like, oh, I still do those things. Yeah. I think I'm I'm way more aware of it now. And I try to, like, be logical about it. Like, okay, that actually isn't your fault. And, Mm -hmm. like, talk myself through it. But, yeah, I'm still more codependent than I'd like to admit. Same. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, I think that people don't realize is you can be a very independent person, but be codependent at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's my case is before I found that relationship, I was extremely independent. And even during that relationship, I was very independent, mm-hmm. you know, and then these codependent traits show up simultaneously. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm independent, so I can't be codependent. Yeah. That's not how it works. Two different things. Yeah. Yeah. And that, to me, threw me for a loop when someone was like, I think you might have codependency problems. I'm like, but I'm such an independent person. Yeah, because no you that, are. Yeah, that can't exist at the same time. Yeah. And then I read that book, and I was like, oh, crap. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something else I got to work on? Yeah, Come on, guys. All the things, yeah. really. I have all the things. Nonstop. There's always something. There's always something. There's always got to be something. <laughs> But yes, Codependent No More is such a good book. And if you have been, like, if you have grown up in a high demand religion, I would Mm -hmm. totally recommend 
getting educated on codependency. Yes, yes. High demand religions kind of breed dealing it. with and yeah, dealing with um, people with addiction, mm-hmm. all of that. This book will be very eye opening. Yes, and it is. It is mainly what a book for people that are spouses or partners or mothers or whatever to people with addiction or mm-hmm. substance abuse disorder. Yeah. But I read it and I didn't have anything like that. And it's still very much applied to me yeah. despite that. So, sure. you know, I just took what I could from it, even though not everything applied, applied, but yeah. it's still like the overall concept mm-hmm. is really important. Absolutely. Should we talk about coping skills? Yes. <laughs> They're yes. very important. They are. <laughs> and they're so unique to and every they, person. Yes, I every feel. person has to figure out what works best for them. Yeah. And sometimes in one situation, it's going to be something completely different than in another situation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, uh, the biggest coping skill that I've learned is just to take my meds. Mm. On days mm-hmm. that I don't, I'm like, when am I thinking I'm too old to be playing this game? But yeah, taking my medicine is the number one coping skill Mm -hmm. for me. The other things I do are more situational Mm -hmm. and not like I do them every day to build up. They're more like I need something more in this moment. Mm -hmm. So things like we have a dear friend who does Reiki. Yes. And her sessions help me so much. I wish I could do them every day. (laughs) I know. Seriously. They're incredible. If you haven't tried Reiki... Please do. I guess we've only tried it with our friend, but she is so healing so and so good at it. I know she's so fantastic, and I love her. Those I I feel the need for those in my life mm-hmm. on on bad days. Um, Definitely. Aside from that, I do ketamine mm-hmm. with you. Oh yes, we have not mentioned ketamine yeah, on this ketamine podcast has yet. Been a huge part of our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> ketamine, ketamine assisted therapy. So yes. like. You know, we started out in the clinic, and mm-hmm. now we have kind of at-home remedies remedies yeah. um, that we do uh, legally. Yes. <laughs> we are legally yeah. allowed. <laughs> the doctor's orders. But we have ketamine dates, me and Whitney. Yeah. And, and those help me so, so much. Mm-hmm, same. And for those of you who don't know, ketamine kind of, it helps you rewire your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, form new neural pathways yes and it's weird because everyone can have a very different experience doing ketamine like I feel our experiences are always very different Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I necessarily get anything out of it while I'm doing it but the next few days I can tell a difference in my mood and and everything really Yeah, it's like a really good reset for me. I always feel very like, like a boost. It's a little boost that gives you like, and it's for me, and I don't know if it's like this for everyone, but for me, it's like, it's like an experience where my higher self is in there just giving me a pep talk, Mm -hmm. just like telling me all the wise things that I already know, but that I forget, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes there's visuals, sometimes there's not, but... It's just a good reset and a good way to find, like, the little things that will get you through again. Like, oh, yeah, I do love this thing. Or I do, like... 
Yeah. Things that make you happy that you've kind of forgotten about. Yeah. And I guess I feel that more the day after mm. than I do the day of, like, during. While you're doing while it. While I'm doing and it. And I think for me it's while I'm doing it. Yeah. I will have a huge grin on my face. Yeah. And that's kind of how I am with Reiki is when I'm, when they're doing the session mm-hmm. is I feel the higher self giving myself a pep talk. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so I don't feel that so much with doing ketamine unless I'm in the clinic where they give a more intense dose mm-hmm. and then I And it hits you faster. Yeah. yeah. Then I definitely feel that. I always have a very emotional experience mm. when I do it. In yeah, when I would come pick you up from your <laughs> clinic appointments and you'd be like, one time I came in and you were still super out of it. You're just writing in your journal and like I could tell that you'd just been like bawling. <laughs> yep. Every single time I cry. Every single time I go to the clinic. Every time. But it's always something super healing, and that's been a huge part of my journey. Mm-hmm. Ketamine. Um, Same. Aside from that, little things that I do, I keep my hands busy. So whether that be with art or with crafting, like I do embroidery a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and those little things that just help soothe my mind and calm it down, mm-hmm. quiet it a little bit. I love that. And I love that you figured out the things like that that work for you. Yeah, it took a long time. I mean, everyone's journey is so different. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to find what works for you. But when you find it, it's worth keeping around. Yes. And there's many times when I don't want to pick up a craft or something to keep my hands busy, but I know my mind needs it. Mm-hmm. Totally. While I was in the psych ward, they had a piano and a guitar there. And for you. Yeah, so I, um, the piano was like in, in a, just a little room by itself. And so if no one was in the room, I would go in and shut the door and play the piano. And, and I had heard that they had a piano before I got checked in. So I brought some of my piano music. But for me, one of the things that's like the most therapeutic is that I just sit down at the piano and I just play whatever comes out. I love that. And it's like so healing. And so I did that, I think almost every day that I was there and I would play my piano music and I'd play like some of the songs that I've written that I've actually taken the time to like sit down and write, you know, but then I would also just sit there and play and just like, it was the hugest release. I love that. Just, yeah. And I don't have access to my piano because I'm in too small of a place now after we got divorced and moved. Luckily, Donna has my piano and she's keeping it safe. But I do wish I had easy access to a piano because I think that's, for me, one of the things that like really moves emotion through my body. Maybe you should buy a little keyboard. I know. I probably should. Something you can just slide behind the couch and just pull it out. Yeah, pull out when I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah, I probably should do that. Yeah. That's a good idea. All right, before we go, I would love if you have maybe a quote or a book or a song or all of the above to share with us things that have helped you. Yeah, I've got all of the above. Awesome. Let's (laughs) let's hear it, man. So books, I've got quite a few that have worked for me. Um, Anything by Brene Brown or Kristen Neff, um, both insanely good authors to speak to my heart. So Kristen Neff was the other one. Yes. Yeah. Um, but a couple specific books, there's a book called choose wonder over worry by Amber Ray. Oh, 
And that book is so good. Just the title alone. Yes, it's so good. Um, there's another one called Didn't See That Coming by Rachel Hollis. And I'm reading one right now that if you need a good laugh, it's by Tara Schuster. It's called Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies. <laughs> I love it. That's such a good title. Yeah, and she's she's hilarious. She's worked on SNL and um, Jon Stewart and a bunch of other stuff for Comedy Central. But she's hilarious. So if you That's need a awesome. good laugh while working on your mental health, that, yeah. I would recommend that one. Good way to so do far. it. Cool. Yeah. Songs. I have my favorite song is called The Warmth by Incubus. And should I put that on the psych patient playlist? Yes. Okay. It's done. so good. Done and and done. it just makes me feel so much better about life and myself. And it's wonderful. And then quotes. I have a quote by Brene Brown and it's really simple, but it's always meant a lot to me. Um, you're imperfect and you're wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging. Mm, such a good one. Yeah. You read it one more time. Yeah. You're imperfect and you're wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging. Wow. She's got the best freaking quotes. She does. She's a one-liner queen. She is so good. Yeah. We love you, Brene. Shout out, Brene. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for being willing to open up. Of course. And share with us. And I mean, I know it's like, it's scary to like be that vulnerable and to let people in on that part of life. So it's very much appreciated by me, and I know a lot of other people will benefit from hearing your story and the different things that work for you. I'm glad we got to stick together. Yeah, dude. Seriously, though, yeah. you gotta mm-hmm. find you gotta find your people who get it and mm-hmm. who can be your cheerleaders. Absolutely. Also, we're wearing the same sweatshirt today. It's called. It's what's it called? Staywear. 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 Yes. And after I got out of the psych ward, Whitney and Chelsea, who we mentioned earlier, had bought me this sweatshirt. And the back says, stay kind to yourself. Yes. And then, of course, we know stay as in, you know, stay. Stay Stay a while. We like you. We like you here. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind. (laughs) Um, Before we end, I want to read something that Whitney wrote in her worry journal. That has to do with feeling your feelings. Yeah. So this is what it says. So let it hurt. Let it feel like it's destroying you. Feel it and accept it so you can heal from it. Because when you do, your future will be ready to give you the life you've always dreamt of. And after the nightmare you've been living, no one deserves a dream life more than you do. By our own Whitney. I love that so much. Yeah. Yes, so maybe let's make a goal to try to feel our feelings all the way through. And if they get to be too much and you're headed towards spiral town, (laughs) use some of those coping skills to get yourself regulated. (laughs) And come back and feel them at a a different time when you're more stable. (laughs) I'm mostly just saying this for myself. Yes. As a healthy reminder. As a healthy, yes. A side note. Yes. Anyway, in the name of psych patients everywhere, amen. Amen. (laughs) So beautiful. Amen. Amen.